week, we processed our very raw emotions about coronavirus, and we want to thank all of you who listened. I want to thank those especially who have reached out about my very raw emotion, my anger with God that I talked about last week. Thank you. I really am feeling better now. Old Testament style destruction just offends my sense of fairness and I get (laughs) angry about it. And (laughs) that's that. So that's what I was feeling. But I really am, as we sit here today, taking comfort in my faith. And I hope that if some of you were or are feeling the way that I was last week, anger with God, anger with the powers that be about this situation, I hope that you are processing it too and feeling better now because it's here and we have things to do. It's time to get going again. We have a new normal and I'm here today, Mary Scott Hunter with my co-hosts, Liz Bashirs and Rachel Breyers. And we have a guest today, Lori King-Taylor. Welcome, Lori. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on your podcast today. Lori King-Taylor is a noted executive advisor, thought leader, and keynote speaker on cognitive leadership, the concept of reconfiguring the brain's pathways and reconnections for optimal leadership. As a speaker, Lori examines how changing our thought processes and habits through deliberate exercises can actually rewire our brains for the optimal characteristics of leadership. Her keynotes have been heard at conferences and corporations globally, and I've heard her speak at all kinds of podiums. And after last week's very raw show, we decided to follow up with some practical, helpful, and hopefully edifying uh, advice and discussion about life in the times of COVID-19. We came across Lori's blog where she talked about handling the feelings associated with the pandemic. And it it really takes some good emotional intelligence and self-awareness to best position yourself in these life and times. And we just love Lori's take. So Lori, let's dive right in um, and start with, I'm going to just kind of read aloud the first line of your blog. You were talking to quote unquote, a friend of yours yesterday. And you said, as most people are doing these days, we got to discussing the coronavirus. And she said, I was in the grocery store yesterday to pick up a couple of things and all of a sudden I was grabbing things that I didn't even need. She went on to explain, I saw this man grab several packages of toilet paper, so I did too. Every aisle I was piling my buggy with items I have plenty at home or in general or in general have no need for. I don't know what got into me. After getting home and unpacking, I was thinking, what the heck do I need all this? <laughs> I inserted a different word. <laughs> Right there. Rachel would have to believe me. I've got the beat button at the ready. It's the military background. Sometimes it's just the right word. Anyway, but I was, you know, we've probably all been there in the last week or two. We get home and we're like, why did I buy this? So, Lori, that you talk about your friend. I know that's, you're using that because it's not really a human friend that you're talking about, but you call her Amy. And tell us what's going on between you and Amy. Let's start there. Uh, The funny thing is this actually was a discussion that I was having with one of my friends. So it's not a fictional friend. It it really was a conversation that I was having with one of my girlfriends. I was over at her house and we were talking about it. And what she's experiencing is what we're all experiencing because we are all emotional creatures. So the way our brains are developed is they're developed for us to be emotional creatures. Our brains were created to react emotionally before we do anything else. And so it's, it's how it's designed. When information enters our brain, it enters at the base of the skull. 
and it has to travel through our brain. And the first place it goes is to your limbic system, and that's your emotional part of your brain. The difference is, is how people react to the situation. So even though we might all feel the same emotion, um, emotionally intelligent people are better able to react differently and react in a non-emotional state than, than a, a person who's living in that emotional part of their brain. So let's break this down a little bit. I'm at the grocery store. I see three rolls of toilet paper left on the shelf and I'm lunging <laughs> for all three of them. You are. You're lunging and you're fighting because what has happened is when the information enters your brain, it goes to the limbic system. And, and what lives in your limbic system is what you just referred to as I call her Amy, but it's your amygdala. And your amygdala is that fight or flight part of your brain. And so it, your information hits there first. And Amy goes, oh, my gosh, what is happening? There's only three rolls of toilet paper left on the shelf. Or in my friend's case, she sees this guy piling her cart full of toilet paper. And the information enters that emotional part. And Amy's like, what the heck is going on? So Amy contacts your hippocampus. And that's where we store those long-term memories. Let's see, there's a, there's a lack of resources. So there's only three rolls of toilet paper. Why would that be? Or in this case, that man who is piling his cart full of groceries, why would that be happening? And your brain goes back into long-term memory. And what your memory or your hippocampus is going to tell Amy is when there's a hoarding situation or when there is a lack of resources, there must be a crisis. Her sole purpose is to help you survive. And so when she hears from your hippocampus, there's a crisis. That's why this man's hoarding. That's why there's only three rolls of toilet paper left on the shelf. Her fight or flight. And Amy goes, oh, my gosh, we have to react. It's a crisis. We need to hoard because that's what we need to do. So that's what's happening in that situation when they see that. It also happens in reverse when we're sitting at home and we're, we're spending all day on Fox News or CNN and we're watching it and our brain goes, oh my gosh, there's a crisis, then Amy does the same thing. She contacts the hippocampus and she said, we're in crisis. What does that mean we need to do? And the hippocampus, the memory part, will say, when you're in crisis like we are in and you're being quarantined, you need to stockpile. And so we're just, our brains are just telling us we have to react and we have to react. Well, I can tell you that I, I hope I'm not alone, but when I was in the grocery store and the first time that I really saw empty shelves, I did not react with emotional intelligence and I did come <laughs> home with $800 worth of groceries. <laughs> so, and I don't think I'm alone. You're not. You're not. We're all in that. This is kind of an unprecedented situation for us. Those of us that are in North Alabama, when we go back to our long-term memory and we think of crisis, we go back to the April 27th tornadoes where we couldn't get to grocery stores and you couldn't get food and you couldn't get water. That's where the memory goes and the hippocampus says, oh my gosh, don't you remember April 27th with all the tornadoes? We're not going to have water. We're not going to survive. And so that's where we get into that mode of staying in that emotional part of our brain. 
Well, I will say that I have rarely had such a, I don't know, I came home with all those stupid groceries, you know, and my, and the, the food chain is not really affected. I mean, the food chain is fine, aside from the toilet paper issue, the, the food chain is fine. And we can still, you know, figure out toilet paper. There's options, not nice options, but there's options. And, but I will say that it's rarely been such a tangible I don't know, visible reminder when I got home that day of not being very emotionally intelligent. And I've been really trying to be better since that day. Well, and Lori, I, re- I really couldn't agree more that it's terribly important for our mental and emotional health to be able to objectively not only observe ourselves and sort of with a sense of curiosity, be aware of how and why we are reacting to stress, but having the ability to understand someone else's reaction, even when it's completely perplexing and we don't agree with it. So to your view, what emotional intelligence skills can we apply right now? How does an emotionally intelligent person respond in this situation? Well, I think if you were like my friend and you're standing in the grocery store and you find yourself kind of hoarding the the toilet paper and grabbing things off the shelves. One of the things you need to do is you need to stop because what we want to do is we want to let the information leave the limbic system and travel to our frontal lobes, to our, our rational part of our brain. So instead of reacting, we need to stop. And when we stop, we can start asking ourselves some questions. And the first thing we need to do is we need to break the loop between Amy and the hippocampus. And so um, to break the loop, we stop and we say, no, Amy, not today. And it just kind of breaks that loop. And um, after we tell Amy, she don't, don't go do this, let's stop right now. Then we start asking ourselves some question. Is toilet paper on my list? And hopefully we're all taking a list to the grocery store. That would definitely help us. Is toilet paper on my list? And if it's not, okay, well, toilet paper's not on my list, so I must not need any. You know, then you ask yourself another question. Do I have an ample supply at home? Um, If I run out, is there a way to get more toilet paper? Yes, there, there is a way. So, but all just asking those questions does is to give the information time to get to your rational part of your brain. And that's where we want it to get. So you can start thinking through things more clearly. Some other situations that, some other things that you can do is like if you're at home, you're not in the grocery store, but you're watching the news or something and you just become panicked, it's just stop and breathe. That, again, allows information to go to that more rational part of your brain. So just take a step back and just really breathe. Give your your brain time to process through information. Think of, of things when you're in those situations. Think of things that you're very grateful for. That always helps um, your brain to go, okay, wait a minute. We are in this crisis. And and my big thing is turn a daggum TV off. (laughs) That that would be one of the biggest things that I could advise people. If If the president is on and he's doing a news conference or your local authorities on and they're doing a news conference, absolutely turn it on, listen to what's going on and then turn it off because that constant loop is gonna create that crisis mode in you. Um, But just learn to stay very positive. When you find yourself getting a little freaked out, just ask yourself, what are the things that are positive? Like Mary Scott, before we started the podcast, I was asking, you know, what we're doing in, in some of our time that we have being at home. And she said, I'm 
know, organizing and, and trying to get organized. So think of those positive things uh, that you can do in this situation. I think a lot about how you mentioned the April 27th tornadoes. I lived in Tuscaloosa. I was in my last year of college when those happened. And um, so that really is the, the crisis of my life to this point. But then I think of like my grandmother who was born in 1920 and was a teenager during the depression, a young woman during uh, World War II, and then it lived her entire adult life through the Cold War, Vietnam War, Korean War, Cold War, all the, you know, just constant, constant upheaval and, and just crisis after crisis. And she was one of the most emotionally intelligent, grounded, centered, centered people I have ever met. It, was there something about how she had to face and her generation had to face just so much hardship that helped them exercise that muscle so they could find the logical, rational, reasonable response to crisis? Or is that just something that comes with experience, I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> it's a combination. Yes, it comes with experience. Uh, the best thing about that experience is when you go through a situation and you come out on the other end, you can look back and say, we made it, you know, we survived, it's okay. You know, yes, it, depending on the situation, yes, maybe ration a little bit. Maybe we had to start, you know, I have a friend that says one of the rules, she actually put a note over the toilet paper in her house that says three squares only. We have that rule in my house. <laughs> All y'all need to buy a bidet and just be done with it, okay? <laughs> Welcome to the rest of the world. They figured out the bidet situation. Why can't we do it too? Oh, no. Now we're going to have a run on bidets. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth, so your grandmother has, has, because of those experiences, has been able to come out on the other side and say, it's okay. You know, it might stink, the situation that we're in right now. But it will be over and this too will end. And when it ends, we'll, we'll be okay. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that as well, is that, yeah, this is an inconvenience to us. And for some people, it is a, a bad situation. But for the majority of us, it's just, my gosh, we have to go home and stay in our house for a little while to keep everybody else safe. And I think when we can put it in those terms, and think, you know what, um, this is actually, we could use this in a good way. Who want, who's been saying that they have things that they want to do at home, but we never have time, right? Because we live such incredibly busy lives. So by being able to go, hey, I have to stay in my house for the next two weeks. What, what can I do well here? What, you know, how can I use this time? I've been gifted this opportunity to stay at home and spend more time with my children, spend more time with my spouse, clean out closets. So a lot you know. of time with children. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just had to interject that. <laughs> it's great. Really? Yeah. So yeah, I can see where your grandmother could, would come out being very emotionally intelligent. Cause in like, in this situation, she's like, are you kidding me? I've been through worse. One of the things that I really recommend that individuals do as well is I'm a huge advocate of journaling. And um, I think you should journal all the time. I just think it's a wonderful gift that you give yourselves. Um, but right now is taking time to really sit down and journal what's going on. 
journal your feelings. A lot of times if you're having those negative feelings and you're scared or you're angry, um, like Mary Scott, you talked about in your last podcast, kind of being angry through this. If you journal through those feelings, it kind of slows that whole process down. It also kind of gets it out of your brain and onto paper. But the good thing about journaling it too is going back and looking you know, a month later and going back and looking at what you journaled and go, oh, wow, look how we came through this. You know, um, that's, that's, I instantly, even after I, 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 I talked about being mad at God in our last podcast. And even as I said it, I instantly felt better. Uh, journaling, maybe, you know, journaling, writing down your feelings, but saying them out loud or saying them on a, you know, through the written word, there is something really, really cathartic about naming it. It deflates mm-hmm. it in a way. It kind of pops the bubble or something. Absolutely. Yeah. So get, just getting it out and then releasing it. But once you get it out and release it, you got to walk away from it because then it's okay. Angry. I've gotten it out. I've said it. And now I just need to move on. Uh, emotionally intelligent people don't dwell on things. So, and, and, you know, in the South, we like to use that term or I'd, I've never used it, but I've started using it recently in some of my training classes just because it's a funny word to say. But we waller in things. Oh, so, do we? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, emotional intelligent people don't do that. It doesn't mean they never feel negative emotions. It just means that they get it out, whether it's verbally or whether they write it down, and then they move on. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, if there's advantage in there, we all know there's advantages in, in pondering decisions. I mean, some things have to be pondered, but I think right now we're it, we're, we're, it is what it is. We're, we know what the situation is. We know what we're going to have to do. We know there's going to be slowdowns. We know there's going to be financial insecurity and instability. We know there's, you know, there's going to, all that's going to be what it is. I, I get it because I, I had that moment when I was thinking about my feelings, thinking, okay, what's the point of this? What's the point of being, you know, angry at the cosmos? You know, you know, it's the big implacable cosmos. You know, there's no, it's, I'm not doing anything except hurting myself. Well, what's it going to accomplish? Nothing. You can't accomplish anything <laughs> by it. Exactly. The only thing that you're really going to accomplish there is bringing yourself down and bringing those around you down. Yeah, I've been extra good at that lately. I've been. Hey, Lori, we talk a lot on the show about rewiring our thoughts, and I'm sure you've done a lot of thinking and reading about that as well. A couple episodes ago, we talked about habits and how sometimes you just have to reaffirm and design your identity. I am Mm -hmm. a strong person. I am a generous person. I, you know, and I think we did that at the dinner table last night. I kind of called a timeout and I said, you know, guys, I just want to say something about our family. We are a strong family, and we think about others. And I, I don't really do that often verbally. I do that a lot in my head. But it kind of, I saw a little light come into their, their little eyes that, we're, that this is our identity, and this is how we're going to, and you know, I kind of called attention to a Bible verse we have hanging over our dining room table that says, be strong and courageous. So what role do you think affirmations and mentally strengthening those connections between how we think about ourselves and then our actions. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that it's crucial. And what I think what you're doing for your children is a gift that will stay with them forever. 
because you, what you are doing is you are creating a path in your brain for them and for yourself when you do that. Yes, it's been maybe 15 years ago. We used to think that the brains were kind of set when you got to a certain age and there was nothing you could do. Um, and we have found out that our brains are actually full of neuroplasticity, which means we can change the structures and we can rewire the pathways of our brain. But the only way we do that is to do something repetitively. So I like to think of it as this in the sense of if we go to the beach and you take a stick or, or in the sand anywhere, but you take a stick and you draw a line in the sand, you have a small line. If you keep drawing that same line over and over again a thousand times, what do you have? You have a deep divot now. And so when the water comes in, where does the water go? It piles in that divot. We now have the opportunity to rewire our pathway so we can change that. But what we're going to, what the way we do that is we draw a line to a different way. So if we're having those negative emotions or we, we feel like crisis means hoarding, hoarding means crisis mode, we can change that pathway and say, I have plenty. I have been graciously given many things by God and, and I am doing well and I, I need to leave for others. But we have to do it over and over again. So to change our thought process and how we think, you just do it once, that old divot is there and it's still much deeper. But we have to remind ourselves on a regular basis that you know things are good or we are or we are gracious, or you are, I think about the movie in the book, The Help, and how that may said to that little girl, you know, you are good, you are strong. And she would say that to her over and over again. And what she was doing is she was creating a pathway in that little girl's brain so that in the future, that's what's going to be in her hippocampus. That's Mm. what's going to be in that her memory. So when Amy is in a crisis and she goes there, that's what's going to be remembered. But we have to do that over and over again, because what we, it's time that's going to erode the old lines that we've made in the sand. And we have to give it that time. And then we have to a thousand times go through the new divot that we've created or the new wire we've created because the memories and, and the pathways that we have in our brains right now, They've been ingrained in us since birth. And so a lot of the way we are and our personalities and how we react to situations, it's been written over and over since birth. So now we've got to to start all over again. So it's just going to take us time. So doing that with your children in the evenings is wonderful. And I recommend continue to do that. And when we're in those situations where we're feeling uh, anxious or afraid in situations like this, we have to continue because we'll go back to it. You know, Mary Scott, you'll go back to feeling angry. Something will happen and that feeling will rear its head again. But you just have to go back through and say, no, I'm not going to do this. You stop it. You got to tell Amy, no, Amy, not today. You will not, not today. be angry today. Being grateful about things improves your mood reducing cortisol levels by 25%. So just starting to go through that whole gratefulness process will help that. But we've we've just got to continue to do things like that. One time is not going to make it work. Well, there are 
everyone has alarmists in their inner circle, people who won't stay calm. <laughs> you know, social media seems, you know, social media was proliferating before this happened, but it now seems like it's, you know, really just, let's take the alarmist. You know, we don't have a lot of time left, but you, you have an alarmist in your inner circle. They won't stay calm. <laughs> they won't just carry on. Any quick words of wisdom about how to handle that? Well, the first thing is don't get caught up in their drama. So if they're being alarmist, we don't want to feed them. You know, we don't want to put fuel on that fire. Um, stay positive. Again, when you're in those situations and somebody is in that alarmist mode, any positive thoughts that can refocus their brain um, and help reduce that stress in that area, remind them again of what they can be grateful for. Um, it will kind of slow that process down for them. Uh, try to help reframe their perspective. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to those circumstances. So just help them to put the situation in perspective and um, try to help them to understand that their anxiety is probably not proportional to the actual stressors that, that they're ex experiencing. Can you change them and change their behavior? No, they're going to do what they want to do and if they're kind of prone that way. But if, if they don't get a reaction from you, um, it's kind of like I, I tell my son, when my two sons when they were little, my older one would pick on the younger one all the time just to get a reaction from him. And I would tell him, if you will stop responding, he will stop doing this because he's not getting the reaction that he's looking for. Mm. People who are very drama-based, they, they want you to feed in with them. But if you don't, and you actually reverse it by being grateful and staying positive and putting things in perspective, you're not going to be the fun person to go whine to. Or the other thing is they can look at you and say, wow, I really want what Mary Scott has. So, hey, how do I, how do I get in that mind frame? So it could go kind of both ways, but it's a win-win either way. Either they leave you alone because you're no fun anymore, or they learn from you. Well, I, I certainly cannot think of a su single successful person that I've ever known who is not emotionally intelligent pretty much all the time. Yeah, emotional intelligence is the number one predictor of how successful you'll be in the workplace. It's not your skill level. It's not your education. Uh, we say that your IQ and your education is what gets you hired but it's a, your emotional intelligence that helps you keep your job and to be most successful. And research is already showing us that, yes, the best leaders in the world usually have a very high rate of emotional intelligence. Well, the two books that you gave us, one was uh, the Daniel Goldman book, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. So if you're really interested in this topic, and Lori, it's been fascinating today, you can dive down deep with Daniel Goldman, uh, Emotional Intelligence and Why It Can Matter More Than IQ, or another book that Lori recommended, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury. Absolutely. Both of them are very uh, well known in the field of emotional intelligence. Um, they've got some really great information out there. Lori, we just want to thank you so much today for being with us. This has been so valuable. Lori is on Facebook and LinkedIn at Lori King Taylor. And she can also be reached at TrinityPerformancesSolutions.com. And there you can subscribe to her newsletter. Did I get all that correct, Lori? 
Yep, sounds good to me. Um, I'm regularly putting out information on emotional intelligence and success in the workplace and so forth. So if, uh, if you want more information on that, go to that website and sign up. It's no charge. Well, I love your blog. Uh, I love getting them in my email inbox. Always a great little nugget in every single email that you send. Uh, we have chosen our second quarter book club book. It, the book is going to be Becoming Mrs. Lewis by Patty Callahan. Patty is a New York Times bestselling author who also, by the way, lives in Birmingham, Alabama. Never has it been a better time to lose yourself in a great read. And who doesn't love a love story? Becoming Mrs. Lewis is the improbable love story of American divorcee Joy Davidman and C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles of Narnia and Screwtape Letters, Lots of us have read those. Uh, you can get to the book by clicking through our show notes, and we'd appreciate that. Uh, very, very interesting book, and Joy Davidman is a, a just an interesting character. I'm looking forward to us learning a little bit about more uh, more about her and, and getting to meet Patty um, uh, for our book club show uh, in our second quarter. As always, we thank our Patreon subscribers who are paying for us a little each month to, to come into your listening land, um, and they do that through Patreon dot com slash bell curve pod we know that many are hurting right now as the economy slows so we are especially grateful to those of you who help us keep our show on the air uh, and our community of curvies going connect with bell curve on facebook twitter instagram or pinterest at bell curve pod we have a private and public facebook page lots of you are telling us what you're feeling on our closed facebook page and we just really want to encourage you to name your emotions just like Lori talked about and we talked about today name your emotions name them on our you know on our on our closed facebook page if you feel comfortable or name them to a family name them to a friend name them in a, in a journal because it really does help we can support each other and we want to do that for you subscribe to us on apple podcast stitcher or wherever you get your podcast see you next time <laughs>